You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Simon Waltorton. Hello, you're listening to episode number four of the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast where we chat about all things aviation. I'm Carl Stebbings, and with me in the studio, as always, is my co-host, Simon Walthorton. Hello, Simon. Hello, Carlos. How are you? I'm very well, Simon. How are you this week, and how uh, have you been? Yeah, very uh, busy uh, working, uh, but I'm uh, over here with you, uh, as always, doing our uh, weekly uh, podcast, which I enjoy so much. Yeah, you've been doing some night shifts, haven't you? Yes, I have, yeah. So we're not going to uh, lose you to sleep this, uh, no, this, this evening? No, I think we've got plenty to talk about this week. We have got lots to talk about on this uh, episode, yes. As we record this, it is the 22nd of November, and it's half past five in the evening, and it's it's really cold outside, and the weather's turned, yes, uh, yes. turned quite chilly now. A few odd flakes of uh, freezing rain and snow, and that is going to um, disrupt the airports a little, um, but not at the moment, hopefully, but... If this weather does uh, continue, I think we're going to be having some uh, pretty uh, hard times. But luckily, and hopefully, they've got some uh, new uh, machinery for the uh, big airports, uh, which they've invested in. So hopefully, that will clear the snow and keep the airports open. Yes, hopefully so. Because I'm flying out on holiday in January, so uh, in mid-January. So hopefully, it won't be too yeah. uh, too snowy then. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so we're going to kick off uh, the show, as we always do then, with the normal weekly news. Here we go then. Are you ready, Simon? Yes. Right, let's do this. Right, so we've got some uh, news in then about uh, an Iceland Air uh, 757-200 that uh, had an emergency landing on Sunday uh, while it was flying over Scotland. Uh, The passenger jet had to make an emergency landing at Glasgow Airport after one of its engines failed as it flew over Scotland. The uh, Boeing 757 had earlier taken off from Glasgow and one of the engines flamed out at 37,000 feet as it passed just south of Stornoway at uh, 2 p.m. on Sunday. The plane, operated by the national airline Iceland Air, turned back to Glasgow and later landed safely uh, with the starboard engine still not working. Passengers praised the cool heads and professionalism of the crew, which meant that panic was avoided. Uh, They also told how the unnamed captain made an error and uh, pressed a switch the wrong way, resulting in his mayday call being relayed on the intercom to everyone on board the plane, instead of being transmitted to uh, the air traffic controllers at Presswick. Imagine that one, Simon. Oh goodness me! Be- being on board, uh, being on board, and hearing hearing the mayday broadcast to yourselves. He must have been a bit nervous to do that. Obviously, um, they try and keep their calm as much as possible, and don't normally do that. But I would imagine that he was under a little bit of uh, pressure in the cockpit and. Um, that by mistake, but hopefully the passengers all remain calm. <laughs> I think there'd be a few uh, few sweaty palms and uh, and worried looks. I think from uh, passengers on there. Yes, yeah. Uh, a spokesman for Glasgow Airport said that all the passengers were disembarked safely, um, but he couldn't comment uh, on the uh, particular technical problems that the aircraft had. So uh, a good uh, a good outcome for that one, then yes. Simon. What do you reckon? Uh, bird strike, possibly a flame out. That could well. It could be a bird strike. It could be um, uh, cold weather, um, just a technical uh, 
issue. They don't like to disclose um, too many. Um, if they do have a technical problem, they they always use that word technical, don't they? Technical, yeah. Not to, not to try and uh, drop anyone in, in yeah. any rubbish at all. Yes, but, yeah. Uh, so a good outcome there from that one. So moving on, then next piece of news is British Airways are celebrating 80 years of flying to Singapore. Uh, it's been eight decades since British Airways started flying to Singapore, with its first regular service landing on December the 9th, 1933, a journey that originally took 10 days. Uh, to commemorate the occasion, British Airways will be hosting a reception and fashion show of cabin crew uniform from over the years at Eden Hall, home of the British High Commissioner. The airline is also offering its customers in Singapore special fares to over 30 destinations around the world, ideal for those planning next year's summer getaway. So that's quite uh, quite an achievement there then from, yes, uh, from uh, yes. BA. Have you ever been uh, to Singapore? It's a lovely airport. And no, it, I haven't. No. It is a lovely uh, place to go and it's so clean and tidy and uh, there's even a hangman's noose in the airport. Um, so Hang, it, hangman's noose? Yes, that's there um, to... Uh, Sort of uh, just let people know if you come in with drugs of any sort kind, there um, that is what the penalty is. So it's such a uh, clean, calm place, and there's no um, theft or anything. I've been there two or three times, so I love it. And it's a it is a lovely airport and a lovely place to go. I strongly recommend flying. Flying with uh, Singapore Airlines when uh, it did go, we flew on the seven four seven four hundred, and it was Boeing's one thousand aircraft built and it had it on top of the uh, bump at the front yeah. so that was uh, quite an interesting event i've got some photos of that often i was gonna that. say have you got some pictures of yes that? Yeah. yeah the 1000 uh, built so um, but that journey originally took 10 days wow wow <laughs> <laughs> definitely things have moved uh, moved on yes, uh, definitely uh, since since then 13 hours now i think uh, somewhere if, I, if i'm right that's it and next news in uh um Horror, horror as pilot accidentally broadcasts a mayday call to cabin as cockpit fills with smoke. So this is about uh, uh, British Airways uh, pilot and uh, terrified passengers heard a worried pilot make a mayday distress call after the, um, the call was made through the public address system. Uh, which was accidentally switched on at thirty six thousand feet above the Atlantic. So this is in, uh, this is um, the same thing. It's gone into the. Um with the cockpit and announced it over the yeah another one where the the pilot has transmitted uh, his call to the to the cabin rather yes. than uh, to the ground yeah, yeah that um, seems too in that short space of time it seems strange doesn't it so the captain radioed for help when smoke began filling the cockpit of the British Airways triple <coughs> seven on a flight from Heathrow to New York uh, the plane landed safely and the cause of the suspected electrical uh, um, fault is still being investigated. Um, but uh, cast your minds back uh, 15 years ago uh, when 229 people died uh, when a Swiss air jet ditched in the Atlantic after a similar problem. That was a MD-11. Yes. And if you remember that one, Simon, that was a Swiss Air MD-11. Yes, I remember and, that one. And uh, that was where the fire uh, on board took, took complete hold of the aircraft. And um, that was down to the uh, in-flight entertainment system overheating. Yes. Um, um, I do know um, on the A380, they did have quite a serious problem. That was one of the drawbacks with that aircraft. Did you know that? No, no. Because um, the um, amount of uh, cables that was actually used for the entertainment system is so complex, and there's so many hundred miles of uh, electrical cables for each 
um, unit in the back of the seats. It was quite complex and that was one of the problems they had and they were overheating. So it is uh, quite a sort of complex thing. Yeah, the, the in-flight entertainment systems now on, on, on a lot of passenger aircraft are getting quite uh, technical. You've got charging points for yes, um, USB. USB stuff and you can plug your own hard drive in and laptop yes. um, and stuff. Yeah. So that flight then, that British Airways flight, BA-177, had 220 people on board and uh, had taken off normally at 1.05pm um, last Saturday. Uh, but just before 2pm, the crew spotted uh, smoke filling the cockpit. After donning the oxygen masks, they immediately contacted air traffic controllers um, and told them they were trying to locate the source of a possible fire and demanded urgent assistance. But in the rush to uh, to report this to the ground, uh, the cabin address system switch had been uh, switched on at the start of their call. And uh, like we said, they broadcast that message to uh, the entire crew. So after that uh, worry, the aircraft uh, managed to land safely at Shannon Airport, um, west of Ireland. Um, and like we said, everything everything turned out right there. Yeah, yeah. That, that one now was... that uh, Shannon Airport, that is quite a um, good place for any emergency uh, landings, I would imagine. If uh, they're going over the Atlantic, I suppose that's the uh, first port of call as they come back into the UK uh, or heading towards Europe, really. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, the the. I'm just reading here the. the the airline is investigating the incident, and it's believed to have been heat, uh, started by uh, overheating cockpit circulation fan. Yeah. So, uh, but that that could that could easily have been something uh, something a lot more serious. Yes. Yeah. So, some Ryanair news then. Um, can't <laughs> you, we can't go? We just you, cannot, you just love it, don't yes, you? You love the Ryanair. <laughs> we can't go a week without some Ryanair news. So, Ryanair have unveiled a new look website. They uh, posted. Um, the uh, the news on on their Twitter account on the fourteenth of November, uh, stating that uh, we have a surprise for you. Our new Ryanair homepage, um, and they've made some uh, quite significant changes on the website to make it easier for people to book to make it more transparent. So uh, there's no hidden stuff, um, and it's reduced the number of clicks you have to make on your mouse or your your keyboard. Um, to book a flight from 17 to 5, just 5 clicks of the mouse, and you can book yourself a flight. Hmm. So, <laughs> Does be, that include the um, all the ch- set of charges they normally yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, does that include the boxes you have to tick and untick when you yes. don't want this, you do want, want luggage, this? Luggage, click. Do you but, want check-in, click. <laughs> that's a bit worrying, though, uh, for, for someone like yourself, Simon, with with, ch- with small children, that yes. they could... Uh, they could possibly, uh, with five clicks, book uh, book you a flight um, to somewhere. Yes, <laughs> and use your use your credit card. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll have to look at that. We'll have to look at the uh, website and see what um, see what that <laughs> looks like. So that should make things a lot easier for people. So some EasyJet news then. EasyJet uh, are set to report higher profits than Ryanair for the first time. Uh, no Frills Airline EasyJet is on course to report a higher annual profit than their rival Ryanair for the first time in EasyJet's history. The Orange Airline is expected to report pre-tax earnings of £476 million this year, up some 50% on last year. The improvement comes in market contrast to Ryanair, which has pledged to treat customers better after slashing its profits outlook to as little as £418 million for this year. 
So if both airlines finish their financial year as expected, it will be the first time EasyJet has turned a higher profit than Ryanair. And Ryanair carried 49 million passengers in the six months to the end of September, up 2%, but its average fare fell 2% over the half year to £44.82. So the business reported pre-tax profits of 0.9% to £579.6 million over the same period. Ryanair expects a tougher winter, traditionally uh, a weaker period for all airlines, and expects to lose around £90 million over the next six months and expects fares to fall a further 10% over that period. So good news for, uh, for EasyJet, I should say, there. Yes, um, I've never flown Ryanair, as I've said before, but i um, flown EasyJet um, numerous times, Glasgow uh, shuttle mainly, um, from Stansted. But um, I think uh, if I had the choice, I would use EasyJet. I find them uh, a lot easier to use. Yeah. I don't know how you feel about that. And uh... I, I just, I've always said that I, I think the, 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 the level of service you get with EasyJet, I just think is that just that, that bit more... Um, bit more personal i think than, yes, uh, than yes. with ryanair i think you're you're you are literally a number yes um to, to fill a seat yeah yeah i've seen uh one or two flight programs where they do seem as though a lot of people do have problems with these uh low-cost carriers but obviously if you don't turn up on time or the weather's bad or you've made a mistake on your thing it's your own fault isn't it well hopefully ryanair with their changing um theory on their customer service trying to make things better will uh We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, they'll, they'll be an even brilliant airline by next year. Yes, well, I looked in my uh, Witch magazine and their customer service is so poor they are right near the bottom in the top 100 um, business companies. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so if you're but, listening, Michael O'Leary, um, keep, keep, keep improving things. Yeah, and buck your ideas up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and even Simon will fly with you one day. So next piece of news then is another British Airways piece of news. Um, so with one week to go until the British Airways cadet training programme closes, the airline is calling for more female applicants. The 18-month future pilot programme has attracted around 5,000 applicants for fewer than 100 places in its first two years. But the airline says it haven't, hasn't uh, uh, appealed to enough women. Although British Airways claims to employ more female pilots than any other UK airline, its males pilot, male pilots outnumber the females 18 to 1. So out of 3,500 uh, jobs, there are just 200 female pilots. The training programme helps applicants to gain places at one of three BA-approved training schools in Oxford, Southampton and Jerez in Spain. And during uh, training, students compete, uh, complete their ground theory training, cockpit instrument tra- training, flight ratings, and fly light aircraft in and around Spain, New Zealand, Arizona, and the US. The final two months of the program are completed on BA's flight simulators at the airline's training centre near Heathrow. BA Director of Flight Operations Captain Stephen Riley said... Even though we have more female pilots than any other UK carrier, the number doesn't nearly represent the general population and I actively encourage any women considering a career in flying to apply. Now, I don't know about you, Simon, but we're, we've, uh, we've had quite a few flights um, in the past uh, which have been flown by, by female pilots. Yes, um, I've uh, been on United quite a few times and uh, they have uh, female pilots. 
and uh, they may get one or two strange looks because uh, obviously people think flying uh, with any airline it's got to be a male pilot but um, ch times change and uh, female pilots are up there and uh, flying aircraft uh, all over the world so um, it's a good thing and um, I, uh, it doesn't bother me in the slightest uh, whether it's uh, male or female flying the aircraft they've been through the same training as yeah, the, they've uh, all had the, the rigorous training uh, male pilots so um, got 100% trust in them yes so if you are um, if you are a young young lady listening to our podcast then uh, <clears throat> apply become a pilot yeah be one of those people that uh, me and Simon here on the, over the uh, PA system uh, telling us uh, to enjoy our flight so next piece of news then is another piece of Ryanair news actually uh, this is about Ryanair <laughs> launching 12 new routes from London Stansted next year, um, while also upping the frequencies on 17 existing routes. So from April, the budget carrier will fly from Stansted to Basel, or Basile, Bordeaux, Brive, Bucharest, Comiso, Dortmund, Lisbon, Ozjek, Podgorcia. God, I hope I pronounce these right, Simon. <laughs> Prague. <laughs> You're doing well. Keep going. Uh, Prague, Rabat, and Skelfatia. Four of these routes, Dortmund, uh, Bordeaux, Lisbon and Rabat, uh, had already been announced. So the 12 new destinations will take the total number of Ryanair routes from Stansted to 126 ready for next summer. And Ryanair will also add more frequencies of flights on another 17 existing routes from Stansted, including cities such as Barcelona, Berlin, Madrid, Milan and Rome. That's one, I'll tell you, one thing I'm going to have to try, I think, is um, a little trip to Barcelona or somewhere. Yes, I've um, uh, flown there before. Because uh, Stansted is, is, for us, um, is, is fairly easy to get to. Yes. And it is a really good airport, airport to fly from as well. Yes, uh, it's one of EasyJet's uh, hubs. I yes, think is. that is, yeah, along with along with London Luton as well. Yeah, because you've, uh, you're sort of got, you're in a good po uh, point in East Anglia um, to get all over Europe and... Uh, all of the UK and uh, Ireland as well. And I think a lot of the um, Ryanair and EasyJets uh, people who look for new uh, airports, I think what they must do is they look at a lot of these small airports which um, you never normally hear about. And um, those airports, they'll, they'll try and see how, how popular the route is with that airport. And if it's any good, They'll keep it going, and then obviously, if it isn't, uh, they'll just withdraw it straight away. So, yeah. Well, moving swiftly on, then we've got uh, some news about body scanners. Never been through one, Simon. Yes, you've been. You've yeah. been. Yes, you seem to have done all the things <laughs> that I haven't done that are to do with um, airports and aviation. Yes. Now, um, I've done this at LAX. Um, it's when they first introduced. Um, do you know what the uh, procedure is and how they work? I uh, have no idea. Run, run me, run me through. Well, I'll give the, you, I'll give you, a, I'll give you a little bit of information on as much as I know. Um, what it entails is, you stand. There is a obviously two footprints when you get in the uh, inside it, the X-ray machine, and then you'll be guided in there by uh, one of the security team, and then he'll ask you to hold your hands above, above, or sort of above your head and everything. And then the machine will scan you. And also, I don't know why this is, you get some compressed, I think it's compressed gas or whatever. It blows the whole of your body mm. as it scans. So 
whether it's just to um, see if you've got anything underneath this or supposed to move the clothes I don't honestly know but that is uh, that's the experience and it's only one person at a time and they are becoming popular and they do a full complete scan and obviously the security person is watching and monitoring the screen looking at you and can check all the whole of your body and everything internally so does does it not slow down the process of going through security and having i mean do, yes. do they scan every single person um, i think it's done randomly some mm. uh, um some airports but it, it is quite a long process if you've got a mass of people waiting to get aboard an aircraft and they've only got one or two and they when i went to lax they only had one so they actually uh they were trying it out, but I actually went inside it. So, so eleven more airports across Britain, including Stansted, Luton, and Liverpool, are to uh, be required to screen passengers with the new generation full body scanners. Um, they've uh, ordered that a ban on flying flying passengers who refuse to go through the controversial scanners should be lifted from Friday, as long as they agree to undergo an alternative private hand search. The full body scanners are already in use at 10 of Britain's largest airports. Uh, initial trials of the full body scanners at Manchester Airport since 2009 proved controversial as they produced a detailed ghost-like image of the naked body which was viewed by security staff. Didn't, didn't worry you at all then, Simon? No, no, because it's just a, an outline of your body and um, it's just to really check that um, you're not carrying anything suspicious and just to make obviously searching that a little bit easier and go a bit more detail into um, trying to uh, check for a sort of um, hidden hidden hidden, things, th hidden yeah. things yeah yeah so so all the uh, all these new next generation security scanners being deployed uh, now use automatic threat recognition software which means that no image of a passenger is produced thus alleviating any residual health or privacy concerns so the new scanners are being deployed at Aberdeen, Belfast City, Bristol, Cardiff, East Midlands, Leeds, Bradford, Liverpool, Luton, Newcastle, Prestwick and Stansted airports. The Transport Secretary said that the full body scanners were fully deployed after the Christmas Day airline bomb plot in 2009 and the discovery of an experimental non-metallic explosive device in Yemen in spring 2012. He added that the explosive devices were designed to make uh, detection by conventional screening technology extremely difficult. He has decided to extend the use of these scanners to more British airports because of this and because more generally the terrorist threat in level, uh, terrorist threat in, level in Britain uh, remained at substantial, meaning that an attack was a strong possibility. So there we are then, some more body scanners. We'll have to look out for that <coughs> one at... Um, well, it stands when I fly from there yes, next. Yes, yeah, yeah. So we've got two more bits of news left, or a few more bits of news left. Um, another one which you may have seen on the news on the TV, on the TV and uh, in the papers was um, a quite a, um, an exciting incident. Really, uh, could have been could have been a lot worse, but it was uh, it ended up okay. And that was the Atlas Boeing seven four seven four hundred, the uh, Dreamlifter. Dreamlifter. Uh, that, that's uh, for those of you who don't know that the Dreamlifter is uh, a converted 747-400 um, which has a rather a sort of extended 
height fuselage back from uh, where the hump normally sits on the 747. It looks a bit like the um, Airbus uh, the guppies yes, uh, yeah. that are used for uh, carrying uh, parts of fuselage and for the uh, A380 and all the other aircraft tails and wings and That's parts. That's it, yeah, 787 parts. So the uh, the aircraft had two crew on, uh, was on a GPS RNAV approach to uh, McConnell Airport's runway 19 left, but unintentionally landed on runway 18 of Wichita's Jabra Airport, which uh, has a width of 100 feet and a length of 6,100 feet. But the aircraft managed to stop uh, on the runway. The crew subsequently reported to uh, to be on the ground and intended uh, to vacate via a taxiway D, to which the tower responded puzzlingly, uh, stand by. <laughs> then reporting uh, they were about eight nautical miles from the aerodrome uh, to the crew, uh, the crew believed they had landed on Wichita's Beach Airport. Um, the even more puzzled tower controller replied, confirm you landed at Beach Airport to which the crew requested Unicom frequency for beach after the tower had reported the tower was closed at that time for the night. McConnell Tower then reported uh, the coordinates of Beach Airport and the crew returned their coordinates, uh, which uh, were showing after which the tower identified the airport as Jabra to the uh, crew. Um, in the meantime, a person on the ground had arrived at the aircraft and told the crew the local frequency. The aircraft and airport sustained no damage, but uh, it created a lot of uh, curiosity, spectators and media attention. Uh, the airport, Jabra Airport, was closed as a precaution and all the lights were turned off. A tug was dispatched to Jabra to help turn the aircraft round for a departure. In the meantime, the aircraft uh, has departed um, the aircraft and made its way back to its destination at McConnell Airport. So, <laughs> another case of landing at the wrong airport. Now, we, we were talking about the, uh, I think we talked about it before, the C-17 Globemaster. The Globemaster, yeah. And that landed at an airport and they had to offload quite a lot of um, its uh, cargo to get, make sure the calculations are right for a takeoff and that managed to clear the uh, airport. So you've got this, looking at this picture here. Yeah, um, we're looking on, um, for those of you who, uh, who are on the internet and can look, there's a website called uh, avherald.com, aviationherald.com. If you go on there, that uh, gives you all this news stories from uh, for air, aircraft incidents. And as Simon's just said, we're looking at uh, a map, a uh, Google map, um, of the area at Wichita, and uh, it shows Beach Airport, McConnell Airport, and Jabra Airport, and there's there's quite a bit of difference, a distance between those. Yes, really. That, isn't it? Having said that, though, looking at the uh, map, those pictures um, of the airport, the McConnell Airport looks as though is one of the biggest out of those three. Definitely, but, yeah. yeah. Um, the coordinates for those look very similar. Um, obviously, they're different. I know, but. They're all doing a line, and they are very close together uh, for three airports. I've never seen, actually, I don't think I've ever seen three airports as close as that um, at all. Have you? No, no, no. So there's, there's uh, definitely something awry there with uh, GPS or... Um, and the lights were turned off as well, this, um, and an aircraft landed. After That was after the airport had la uh, aircraft had landed. Right. The lights were turned off as a precaution to stop anyone else from uh, landing at that, that, that airport. Right. 
But the aircraft, like we said, the, air, the aircraft has taken off from that airport and gone to its um, intended destination. Yes. Mm. So, uh, well, a good outcome from that one. Yes. But uh, I think there'll be a few... Um, a bit confused few, over a few that. A few smacked hands, I think, over yes, that one. Yeah. A few stern words from uh, from Boeing, I think, from yes, that one. Yeah. So another piece of news then uh, from this week then um, concerns uh, the awful crash of the uh, Tartistan 737-500 at Kazan. That happened on the 17th of November, and uh, the aircraft uh, crashed on a go-around. Um, the aircraft uh, had 44 passengers and six crew on, on board, and um, unfortunately uh, lost height and crashed onto um, or near the runway 29 and burst into flames. And uh, like we said, unfortunately, all the uh, crew and the passengers on board that one, they uh, unfortunately all uh, perished in that accident. Yes, which is a shame. I think there's one English uh, lady from uh, Cambridge uh, was reading in yesterday's uh, newspaper. But um, the footage, which was on YouTube, um, is quite disturbing to look at. It looks like just a missile hitting the ground. It's so yeah, fast. Yeah, that's... Um... That's very, that's very uh, unnerving watching that uh, the YouTube footage because, like as Simon says, it just it, the the aircraft seemed inverted and, yes. and nose and nose dive you know straight into the ground. Yes, the seven seven three seven five hundred then um, was flight three six three, like we said of Tatarstan Airlines, and um, well, it's it's another Russian airline. Um, so we, I mean, you can't say it, it could have been uh, could have been any any particular problem, really. Yes. It, that's still under investigation, um, obviously by the uh, Air Crash uh, Investigation Board of Great Britain, um, and I would imagine that uh, the NTSB, being as it was uh, an American-built aircraft, will probably be involved in that investigation as well. Yes, yep. So we'll keep our eyes on the website for that one, and uh, perhaps there'll be a a. a some news as to what uh, what happened on that uh, particular yeah, you aircraft. You don't very often hear about the uh, seven three seven five hundred version, do they? No, no. That's uh, the five hundred series was was quite it was quite a sort of uh, uh, an, uh, an intermediate sort of air, uh, um, version of the seven three seven that didn't sell a huge amount. It wasn't one of Bone's sort of highest selling seven three sevens. I mean, the, the two hundred series original, the uh, the steam gauge one was a, a big seller and as we know Ryanair uses all the 800 series yes. and uh, the 900 series is another popular yes. version yes um, I, I think the uh, 800 version is one of the most popular as of uh, to date I would imagine yeah there's been a lot of lot of the 800 series series sold so uh, so unfortunately like we said you know uh, our thoughts go out to all the families and that of the uh, people affected by that crash Um but I'm sure that uh, the investigating teams will find out uh, exactly uh, what caused that uh, terrible crash. So, news, more news from the UK then. Uh, regarding Titan, uh, London Stansted-based charter specialist Titan Airways has withdrawn its final British Aerospace BAE 146 after 17 years of operations. The type was first acquired in 1996 and formed the backbone of the carrier's fleet, operating a variety of roles including VIP passenger and cargo <coughs> transports. The 146QC um, contracts have been a great uh, uh, help for us, 
by passengers and day freight, um, said the owner of Titan. And the 146s have been replaced by more fuel-efficient uh, 737QCs. Um, and the, t- the last remaining 146 uh, registration Golf Zulu Alpha Papa Kilo has been sold to Skyforce Aviation in Australia, where it's... Uh, we will join the uh, Canadian carrier North Cabo Air. So that's another iconic aircraft uh, leaving the UK then, Simon. Yes, and I'm just uh, looking in your uh, airline uh, registration book here. Uh, they did have uh, two of those BA146s, uh, Golf, uh, Zulu, Alpha, Papa, November as well. Um, I don't know if that says anything about where that's going, but... Obviously, because it's a small aircraft, and I know they do um, shuttle, have to shuttle the aircraft um, over and do numerous stops when the aircraft isn't um, such a, a big aircraft um, to get them to their final destination. Um, and I've watched uh, pilots on TV uh, doing that. That's quite a. Have you seen that on TV? I haven't seen that one. That's something else to look up. I um, yeah, um, I think it's called Dangerous Pilots or something similar. Uh, where all they do is uh, just uh, deliver aircraft. Um, oh no, I have I've seen yeah I have I know what you're on yeah. There should be a new series of that coming out soon. I think yeah, deliver um, aircraft that's um, it, yeah. all yeah. over the world and yeah. uh, it's uh, quite um, enjoyable to watch and uh, sometimes a little bit scary and have me has me on the edge of my seat um, due to um, a lot of the time uh, they do have problems because uh, the uh, areas and terrain they cover so. That is an interesting uh, program to watch. Yeah, we'll keep an eye out for that one. So, Dubai uh, International Airport is going to overtake London Heathrow in becoming the world's busiest international civilian aviation hub by next year, according to its chairman and chairman of Emirates Airline, Sheikh Ahmed bin Said Al Maktoum. He said that the airport's operator was also working to raise uh, capacity to accommodate more Airbus A380s for the carrier Emirates. The airport's annual traffic report showed that uh, 57.6 million passengers passed through the hub last year and uh, a 13.2% increase increase on 2011. Officials at Dubai have previously said that the facility was on target to overtake Heathrow, the world's busiest international hub, by the year 2015. So Dubai then. I've flown, th- I've been through Dubai. I haven't actually uh, stayed at Dubai, but I've, I've actually been through the airport. And that is one amazing airport, Simon. Yes, um, I, I can ima- imagine uh, that is a massive airport. And I know uh, they do have a lot of uh, money because it's all to do with the oil out there. So... A lot of their uh, the airport is uh, funded, and they do have a, quite a lot of money. So, yeah, that, that's the airport itself has actually got its own kind of um, uh, sort of a huge pond in the middle of the, uh, the departure sort of area. It's it's a sight to see. It really is. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm I'm going to be flying out to Dubai in January, so I'm looking forward to um, to actually to actually go through the airport and come out the other end and actually see what Dubai yes. is like as you'll, a country. You'll have to, um, we'll talk about that uh, once you've uh, come back and everything, you can give us a full run, uh, rundown on uh, how how the experience was. Yes, that'll be on uh, one of the shows we do next year. So uh, the last piece of news that we're going to have then uh, for today, unless you've got anything else 
You've got some more. Oh, we've got some. We have got some more. Simon's got some more news coming up. So my last piece of news then is uh, regarding Royal Brunei. So Royal Brunei Airlines has finally took delivery of its uh, initial Boeing 787 Dreamliner. Uh, Victor 8 Delta Lima Alpha uh, has been delivered during a ceremony at the U.S. manufacturer's Everett facility on October the 2nd. Um, the important event also signalled the first uh, delivery of the type to a carrier in Southeast Asia. It's uh, powered by Rolls-Royce Trent engines uh, and uh, it made a non-stop delivery flight to its new home at Bandar Seri Beguan International Airport in Brunei. So another Dreamliner then delivered, Simon? Yes, yes. I'm sure uh, Boeing are, uh, are pleased to uh, deliver another a working fully working uh, dreamliner yeah i must admit i i uh, on our look to book a flight for dubai next year i uh, we're looking at, at flying qatar and uh, one of the um, one of the flights that we we we're due to take next year could possibly involve us flying on qatar's uh, dreamliner yes I'm looking forward to it, actually. I know yes. you're you're a bit hesitant on the uh, on the Dreamliner. Yes, but, I am uh, at the moment. I still can't um, my head around all these uh, faults that there has been with it. It's a quite a technical and complicated aircraft to uh, fly, um, and they do seem as I still having one or two teething problems, uh, as we were speaking about in one of our last podcast. So, um, but they do mainly have uh, Airbus. Um, a three forties and uh, the three thirties, the three thirties, yeah. which are the extra uh, range ones. Yeah. yeah, and that's a lovely aircraft to fly on as well. I might get a flight on that one next year you as well. Never we'll know. see. We'll never know. know. Okay, so Simon, you've got one last piece of news. Then what have you got for us? Um, it's regarding uh, the testing of the uh, aircraft EasyJet doing it. Ah, that's what we talked about in the last podcast, wasn't it? Yes. um, They've actually been testing over the Bay of Biscay, um, just south of the UK and uh, just off the coast of uh, France. Um, They've been using one of of my uh, aircraft, which I do like. It's a military aircraft. It's the uh, Airbus A400M, uh, military uh, aircraft, cargo and everything. And they have a load of barrels inside it. Um, with ash or volcanic ash crumped to a powder, and they've been sucking it, vacuuming it out, and discharging it from the side of the uh, A400M, and then doing some more tests uh, with Airbus uh, and EasyJet to just check out um, and try and test what the uh, about the ash and to see how uh, things um, and what sort of things happen to the aircraft as it's flying through the. Uh, ash uh, cloud because we did have that problem uh, quite uh, well just a few years back uh, with that ash cloud and that was uh, over uh, Iceland wasn't it yeah Yeah. so obviously they are looking into um, doing more tests um, about this and during uh, the flying and everything so it's just hopefully they'll have a system in place if this does happen again then they can fly away from it because it is quite a dangerous thing as we said before and when that sets into the uh, goes in the aircraft engines, it just goes like concrete with the moisture in the uh, actual sky. Yeah. So before me and Simon start the podcast, we actually uh, Simon was showing me a video on YouTube um, that actually show the uh, the four hundred M flying uh, with the guys on board, hoovering uh, frantically hoovering buckets of <laughs> dust 
which were being uh, exited or to blown out through uh, a kind of um, vent on the vent side on the side of the aircraft, right, yeah. uh, near the uh, rear of the, rear of the aircraft, and um, just puffing out, um, which I said was was probably volcanic ash, just to give a test, and then test it. Uh, what was it with? Um, EasyJet and what aircraft was that? Was that, that was the the test aircraft was uh, an Airbus A three forty. It was it was an act, it actually is one of the uh, the original uh, test aircraft, the A three forty test aircraft, and uh, the uh, device that uh, was was sensing or picking up the ash cloud is kind of a a, a sort of pod attached to uh, the front. Uh, part of the fuselage just to the side of the cockpit which uh, yes. seems to d- detect the uh, the ash cloud yes and they had all the computers and uh, obviously uh, engineer flight engineers on there and um, scientists just to uh, check it out and see what sort of um, things happen so Simon you've got uh, another piece of news um, about uh, a, a drunk pilot yes uh, yes yeah, so as I was uh, coming over here today I heard it on the radio um, the pilot had uh, admitted being uh, over the legal alcohol lim- uh, limit and been arrested in the cockpit and jailed for nine months. What actually happened? This was at uh, Leeds Bradford Airport on the 18th of September. Obviously, it's the same uh, limit for a car as it is for an aircraft. He was 41 uh, micrograms of alcohol in 100 millilitres of breath. Only just over then. Just over, yes. Um, he was late. He he later gave another reading of twenty eight. But even so, you just don't you don't take an aircraft with passengers on. No, not no. that amount of passengers. And uh, he he told the police he consumed three quarters of a bottle of whiskey before the flight, which is just not on. And um, most, I think everybody will uh, agree with this. It, it, it's all those people are being flown about by pilots and all the public put their trust in that person and obviously his drinking um it says uh, it says here that the pilot uh, told police that he consumed three quarters of a bottle of whiskey before the flight which was due to depart uh then the, the following night. yeah that's what i was just saying uh that the three quarters of a bottle of uh, whiskey is just far too much isn't it that's just <laughs> that's just terrible isn't it uh he's been jailed for nine months yeah, I think it could have been uh, longer than that, and uh, hopefully that'll be a warning to other other pilots. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's. Uh, I don't think he'll do that again. No. No. Right, so with that one then, that's the last piece of news uh, that we've got for this week. And uh, so we're going to bring back uh, Simon in a moment with some bits and pieces of military news after this. So with that, then, we are uh, going to move on with some military news. Simon's just uh, been enjoying some uh, some peanut crisps. Are you enjoying these peanut crisps, Simon? Yes, um, I need another bag. <laughs> He's devoured an entire bag of uh, peanut-flavoured crisps whilst we've, been, uh, whilst we've been doing the podcast. Uh, anyway, moving swiftly on, then, we're going to go with some military aviation news.
So after eating all the peanut flavoured crisps and with the military aviation news, here's Simon. Thanks a lot. Um, just uh, the Red Arrows out in Dubai still and they're having a really uh, good time uh, seeing all by the updates on Facebook and uh, all the fun, uh, what they've uh, been doing and all displays. And obviously uh, just uh, looking at Prime Minister David Cameron's been out there, which is good, uh, standing uh, with the team, all the pilots, um, promoting. Uh, they look as though they've done some fascinating stuff this time uh, out in Dubai, uh, promoting uh, the British uh, aircraft and trying to sell aircraft um, to the Middle East. So, um, and uh, they've uh, seems as though they're having a fab time. They should be back sort of uh, mid-December time, um, but obviously they've got quite a few more displays to do out there. Obviously, uh, there's, a, and there's been a lot of uh, spectacular fly-pass over uh, Dubai, um, sort of famous landmarks. And um, what is that hotel called with the sail? That's quite a... Uh, the Burj Al Arab, I think that one is. Yeah. 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 And uh, that's uh, got canvas on the outside of the building to keep the uh, rooms... Uh, uh, cool. So there's uh, plenty of uh, lovely photos. And another thing, next year at Riyadh, the Royal International Air Tattoo, being it's the Red Arrows' 50th birthday, 50 years of the Red Arrows, what is actually happening, they have a special uh, uh, pit day so you can be with the Reds. That is an extra day they've added on to the uh, air show. And um, I think... Uh, Carlos has uh, persuaded him. Or... Yeah, I, I will be. Um, I've already I've crossed it off in my diary uh, um, as uh, a day not to book any any uh, yes. family engagements. So we'll tie that in as a two day one uh, with the pit pit day with the Red Arrows, and uh, was probably Saturday the twelfth. So that'll be uh, Friday the eleventh of July is a pit day with the Red Arrows, and Saturday. It's a normal day, so we'll be able to look at all the other aircraft flying into Riyadh. That's it, plenty of picture taking. Oh, um, yes. A scanner and, uh, as well. Yep, scanners will be out, and yes. uh, definitely the cameras will definitely be in full uh, full use that day. <laughs> yes. And obviously we'll uh, also obviously get those pictures on Facebook um, as when we can during the day, hopefully. Yes. And if we're lucky, um, if Simon can... Uh, can Talk, talk the uh, talk is talk. We may even get uh, uh, an interview with a, with a pilot or something along yes, those lines. Yes, that would be uh, good. Um, I've obviously uh, met the uh, pilots once or twice in the last few years. Um, it's quite uh, difficult to do, um, but the air shows are the best places to do that. Um, I've met them at the uh, last off uh, Seafront Air, air Festival, which is no longer, uh, which is a, such a shame. And I've met them at Waddington, uh, obviously Riyadh. Um, one or two other places but because of such a vast amount of people it isn't always easy to get access and chat with the pilots but um, hopefully next year we will uh, do that because it is a special year as I said and it's the 50th anniversary and I would imagine there's going to be quite a lot of uh, special fly pasts and special events to mark this 50th uh, anniversary and uh, they may even be flying with the Fallen Nat as well, I'm mm. sure, which I'm uh, sure will Look happen. Look forward to seeing that. Yes. So so next year, as I'm reading here, next year is the 50th uh, display season for the team. Yes. Uh, which are based at RAF Scampton in Lincolnshire. Yes. And um, since the team's formation, I think we said in the last podcast, they've performed an amazing 4,500 displays 
uh, in 54 different countries. Yes, um, it's it's totally amazing. They fly all over the world and uh, they go to the Middle East a few times. They've been to Australia. Um, I'll have to get a list up of uh, the places they've flown, but it's there is so many places they've been. They've been to Singapore, Australia, America, um, worldwide, really. So um, it's such a an achievement for such a special um, team and uh, to be a UK team of the Royal Air Force. So, yeah. So as we record this today on the 22nd, um, their next uh, scheduled uh, performance is at Abu Dhabi on the 24th of November. Yes. They've got one in Kuwait on the 26th. And uh, then they'll be um, on the 30th of November, the 1st of December, and the 2nd of December, they'll be at the Al Ain Air Show. Yes. I think the um, also the Breitling uh, Wingwalkers, um, they've got two of their um, Boeing Stearmans out there. So how did they get those out there? Those... They uh, went into, um, they were put into crates and they're shipped out there. So that is quite um, quite a long journey for them. And obviously the pilots uh, fly out um, and everything, so... But they fit quite easily. They take the wings off and the tail, and they just put them into these uh, big uh, cargo crates, and then they're shipped out. So um, that's quite easy to do. Um, yeah, they must have uh, quite a, quite a dedicated team to to put yes. all those aircraft back together and yes. test them yes. and um, make sure they're ready for for display. Yes, obviously, display obviously the red arrows fly in uh, sort of sections as they uh, fly out, and uh, after they've completed, which is around the third of December, that'll be time to head home. And start practicing for the 50th uh, anniversary, which, uh, as I said, will be quite special. And all the other dipl- uh, displays that they'll uh, no doubt be doing over the course yeah. of 2014. Yes, I would imagine um, in February we will have a, a complete list and update of uh, where they're flying, what air displays, uh, what fly paths they will be doing, because um, it's only December at the moment, so... Uh, sorry, it's November. Yes, we're not we're not quite in we're not quite in Christmas time yet. It'll, yeah. soon, it'll soon be Christmas. Yes, yeah. So um, once we get into the new year and around spring, early springtime, we should be getting a more definite um, detail of what is actually going on with the Red Arrows and also all the other air show um, dates and uh, displays around the UK. So that's something to look forward to. I just can't wait for the uh, next season. So. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm looking forward to, definitely looking forward to going to Riyadh with you. My yes. first first uh, first time there. Yes, and I'm also uh, looking forward to going to my first time at Farnborough. So, uh... oh, Simon, you, there's a, right, <laughs> a real treat on board for you there for that week. Yes. Definitely, all that weekend, that'll definitely be, uh, definitely be an eye-opener for you. Yes, and uh, it's so nice to be going with such a nice friend and uh, we've uh, both got something to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah, oh, definitely. Just, just can't wait. So, what other pieces of news have you got um, then for I've us? Got this about, week? Um, well, I've, um, on Facebook, I'm friends with um, some people, plane spotters from RF Bryce Norton, um, which, which is I, near Cambridge. Uh, no, it's not. Is it Bryce Norton near no, Cambridge? No, no. no. It's um, it's no. sort of not far away from um, Fairford. Oh, that's it. Yeah, I'm getting confused yeah. here. That's, I'm thinking of Cambridge. You know why I'm thinking of Cambridge, don't you? Marshall's at Cambridge. Yes. Because the TriStar flies in there for, yes, um, and for bits and also, pieces. Uh, the... <laughs> <laughs> We're getting a bit confused here. We've got so much information coming out, but you'll have to um, excuse us if we get anything wrong. Uh, do email us. <laughs> yep, definitely send us to me. If we get things wrong, yes. email us. Yes. And uh, don't forget to look us up on Facebook and put some comments on there to tell us uh, where, where we're going wrong. <laughs> yes, but getting back to Marshall's, they do actually... Um, 
service the uh, Vulcan and that has uh, engine tests and and a few other things there. So that is quite a that is a I don't think it's a public airport. Is it it's a private airport? Uh, I think it's like a, 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 um, a lot of light. Uh, like sort of aircraft flying out of, of Cambridge. I think it's sort of a, a, not something of a private field. I think there's a lot of um, general aviation yes. aircraft fly out of there. I had, um, I know going back to the TriStar again, and I, and I keep doing this every time. I'm sure people will get bored with this, but a few years ago, I, I me and my wife uh, went to um, um, a concert at uh, Cambridge at the Corn Exchange, and uh, which is like a, a, a theatre. And near the park and ride, one of the park and ride car parks in Cambridge uh, is right opposite where Marshalls is, right near where the main runway is. And there's some traffic lights there to stop uh, cars driving through, which Simon's probably been there himself, so he'll, he'd, have, he'd have seen that, wouldn't you? Um, yes. To stop you when aircraft are taking off and landing due to jet wash from the aircraft. And on the particular day we went, there just happened to be uh, a TriStar taxiing round on the runway and it took off right uh, beside us um, with the lights you know, flashing to stop us from uh, driving through. And um, that, was, that was amazing to wind the windows down, not only listen to the uh, Rolls-Royce RB211s um, powering up, but also to feel, you could actually feel the jet, you know, the actual jet wash from those engines as it throttled its way down the runway. Yes, yeah. Mm. <clears throat> I've also uh, got some news on the Lockheed uh, U-2. Um, as I was saying, uh, I'm friends with some people on uh, Facebook of Bryce Norton um, Plane Spotters. And this is quite unusual. Well, it's unusual because uh, you don't hear about it that often. The U-2 spy plane has been um, uh, seen in the UK uh, this uh, last week or so, and... Apparently, don't quote me on this, but um, there is four U-2s that have um, been in uh, the UK and uh, landed at um, Aria Fairford this week and have been doing exercises over East Anglia and over the UK. Now, I don't know exactly what the um, what they have been doing. Um, I would imagine it's a little bit classified, but um, to have four U-2s in the UK at one time is rather strange, and it is quite an old aircraft. Um, its first flight was on the 1st of August in 1955, and uh, it was uh, the designer was uh, Clarence Kelly Johnson, um, and he was um, based at the Skunk Works, and it was a Lockheed Martin, so uh, it's been used for numerous things, um, spying over Russia, and gathering uh, intelligence information for the CIA, and also uh, for weather, uh, gathering uh, weather uh, research as well. And it's um, obviously they have to wear space suits for this um, when they fly. There is a twin seater as well, which I think featured on uh, one of the um, one of the guys off Top Gear actually flew into the, uh, uh, the uh, in the twin seater one, um, which is the training aircraft. But they have a the number built is uh, eighty six. Um, obviously, the sum of um, most probably um, retired now. But um, I don't exactly know how many they have uh, still in service. But um, there's some lovely photos um, on uh, Facebook from RAF Bryce Norton plane spotters, which they've uh, took of it coming into um, RAF Fairford. So if I had some more information. 
about what it's doing here. It may just be a stopover, heading out towards um, the Middle East and doing some other work, but I would give you the information, but as I don't have it, I can't uh, uh, give you it. But if I do actually get hold of it, I will uh, uh, will uh, talk about it at a later podcast. Have you ever seen the uh, U-2? Yes, I, I mean, I've seen pictures um, of the aircraft on, on sort of Wikipedia of the U-2, and um, it's it's quite an awesome looking aircraft, really, isn't it? Yes. Have you actually uh, seen it? Uh, any air display or? Anything? No, I I haven't. I've uh, I've I try to think whether I've seen it. At, um, I, I don't think it was at Farnborough last year. No. No, I've seen it at uh, uh, a few times, but because of its long wingspan, it does have um, these like little bicycle uh, wheels on a um, on a support to uh, stop the wings um, or putting so much strain on the wings as it comes into land and takes off. Uh, it does have a chase plane, uh, not ch- uh, which does f- go- fly with it um, on landing and takeoff and also uh, chase vehicles on the ground. I think it's to guide, <coughs> excuse me, uh, to guide uh, the pilots uh, in safely on the runway and to land because it's quite an awkward aircraft to land and uh, obviously take off so but it does fly at a, a very very high altitude um, and take uh, great photos um, so it is I think it's um, proposed it was proposed to uh, fly at 70,000 feet that's it 21,000 meters yeah yeah so that's quite high that's higher than any um, normal aircraft uh, that would fly so and uh, that, that is something else. But yeah, looking at the picture here, the uh, it's got like little uh, wheel supports on a, on the uh, actual wings. First flown in 1955. Yeah, that's quite a long while ago. Yeah. So look that one up on uh, on Wikipedia if you're on uh, on the internet. The uh, Lockheed U2. That's that is that's one uh, one one very awesome looking aircraft um, to see. And also, um, if you go to the Imperial War Museum in Duxford, they have actually got one hanging from the ceiling there. Oh, that's in the... Yeah, uh, American hangar. American hangar, that's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah that is, um, I've seen that one in there. That's quite, um, as always, Duxford is uh, one of my fab places to visit um, yeah. with the family. And I'm a, I'm a friend of Duxford, so I enjoy it immensely. I've, I've been there quite a few times now for air shows and, and to view the, to the <coughs> museum. Are you right there, Simon? Yes, that's all those um, all those crisps, all those I've peanut eaten. crisps you've been eating during the show. Yeah, yes, yeah. Um, it's it is it is one very awesome uh, museum to go to at Duxford, and um, it's one of those mu- it's one of those um, aviation museums where you you need a day at you, least you need at least a day yep. to uh, to to look round all the stuff there, yep. all the display aircraft and yes. the uh, and the aircraft to actually fly as well. Yes. Um, a thing that I would do if you're going uh, to Duxford um, anytime, if you go on an air show day, make sure you just go there for the air show if you're going to see the aircraft, because that is all you can, well, you can do everything, but if you go in a lot of the uh, hangars on an air show day, you're going to miss all the great flying that um, actually takes place at Duxford. So I would try and tie in a non-flying day or a non-air show day to have a look around Duxford because you've got the tank museum, you've got the uh, 
the American uh, Museum, which is quite spectacular because I love the way it's built. It's like an arch, isn't it? Um, yeah. Concrete arch yeah. and uh, with a glass front. And it's um, also got all the uh, glass screens um, of all the aircraft that were lost during the, um, uh, both world wars. There's uh, also a B-17 in there as well, isn't there? Uh, yes. In that uh, particular hangar, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. also the, um, I think I said before, the B-52. And if you uh, look on YouTube, you can actually see it on there flying into Duxford on its final flight, which um, is quite interesting. It's quite old. That was, uh, seen that quite a few times. So, yes. Yeah, so it's such a big air, um, place to go and visit. And uh, the uh, UK Museum is lovely with all the British uh, aircraft in. So, yeah, it's well worth a visit. Ah. What else have you got for us then, Simon? Any other snippets of uh, military stuff? Uh, no, I think that's about it for today. Uh, that all, that's it for today. Covered the military uh, aviation stuff. There's been some interesting stuff there. That's, uh, that's good to hear, about, especially about the air shows and that. Um, yes. You know, like we said, we're, we're both going to be going to next year. And also, you've got you've got there the prices as well for um, for that. Is that the air, the air tattoo as yes, well? Yes, uh, these are super early bird tickets, um, which are now on sale um, for the air tattoo in Riyadh, which takes place on the eleventh, twelfth, and thirteenth of July. Now, if you purchase the tickets before the thirty first of January, twenty fourteen, you can get a discount of up to twelve fifty on a single day admission ticket, which is a huge saving. And also on the other two days as well. Under 16 children still go free when accompanied by an adult paying ticket. Just uh, select as many children's passes as you need when ordering your tickets. Um, you've got your early bird uh, pass pit day, which is £24. Obviously, for the, that's the Reds pit day. And then Saturday, the twelfth of July, is a ticket. It's thirty-four pounds, and Sunday is thirty-four pounds. So for those those pit uh, pit ones, and you actually do you actually get to be sort of within close proximity to the uh, red arrows, the red and then, arrows themselves. Yes, and the aircraft, the pilots, the uh, wow. engineering, and everything. So uh, once I get a bit more information on that, I'll hopefully um, be able to uh, tell you a bit more. And uh, you can buy a two-day ticket which is Friday the 11th, which is a Reds pit day, and Saturday the 12th of July, it's £48. Is that, is, that's what we're going to do, isn't it? <coughs> yes, yeah, uh, we'll brilliant. do the Friday and the Saturday, and uh, also you can do the Friday and the Sunday, which is a pit day as well, it's £48 you buy now. And then if uh, you want Saturday and Sunday only, it's £56, and then if you want the three-day ticket, it's £76. Um, so obviously Friday is the re- uh, the uh, the pit day, which is the 11th and Saturday, the 12th and Sunday, the 13th. So put that one in your diary for next year. Um, hopefully uh, we'll see some uh, some listeners there at the show. We'll we'll be wearing uh, wearing T-shirts. You'll be able to spot me and Simon uh, wearing our uh, Plain Talking UK podcast T-shirts. Um, so... Is that that? That's all for the uh, military news this week and uh, air show news. And yes, Simon? yes. Uh, and as I said, as we get um, closer to the air show season in the new year, we will uh, be talking more about um, not just uh, obviously Riyadh, um, but we will be talking uh, quite a lot about all the main uh, air shows and what aircraft are flying and the and the smaller air shows as well. Yes, we'll definitely. try and include some of the smaller yes, uh, yes. air shows around the UK as yes. well. Yes, and obviously more information on the Red Arrows fiftieth anniversary uh, birthday. That's it. 
So we're going to uh, bring the, the military news part of the show to a close and come back with you after this. That's a good one. That's a good one, isn't it? That one? I enjoyed that one. So we've got uh, another piece of news before we uh, before we sort of end the show and bring the show to a close. It's regarding the uh, Airbus A318 that we've talked about on previous episodes that flies from um, London City Airport to New York. Been researching a little bit more this week online about that particular aircraft, the A318, and um, have uh, found out. Uh, the the actual aircraft itself is configured to a totally business class cabin and uh, it actually uh, seats just 32 passengers in uh, in that particular aircraft uh, that's in a, a two abreast uh, seating arrangement with the two seats and aisle and two seats it's powered by uh, two CFM International CFM 56.5 aircraft and uh, has a maximum speed of 537 miles an hour, which converts to Mach 0.82 and has a range of uh, 5,700 kilometres, which converts to 3,600 miles. There's two of these in BA's fleet that fly from uh, London City Airport and... Uh, well, it's it's it must be uh, an amazing aircraft to fly on, being sort of you know having just thirty two uh, business class seats on board, Simon. Yes, um, can't be that much for the. Um, I bet the uh, stewards and stewardesses love that because not that many people to serve. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at the layout here that they uh, the show on on the website and, st- and stuff, and um, the actual aircraft is, is a, just a typical three eighteen, but. Just has those 30, uh, 32 seats, just business class seats, um, throughout the whole of the aircraft. So uh, we'll have to look online and see what uh, what they uh, what the cost is to fly. Um, yes, from that uh, from that airport to uh, to New York. So we're going to bring the uh, podcast to a close. Got a few uh, sh- uh, hellos to say or shout outs, as we like to say. Um, to some people who have liked uh, the Facebook page. Um, I've got uh, uh, thanks to Paul Neal, um, Matt Smith, um, Una Sharman, Christopher Bailey, and uh, Gemma Holden, and Wayne Bover, Steve Johnson, Gary Bowditch, Stuart Isley, um, who have all uh, been on, and Robert uh, Richard Hunter as well, who have all liked uh, liked our Plain Talking UK uh, Facebook page. Any uh, any sort of hellos from you to uh, yes, to um, listeners, Simon? Yeah, um, hello to my wife uh, Lynn. She's um, took a real interest uh, to my podcasts uh, or our podcasts that we do. Oh, bless and, her. And uh, Charlotte Hall and Dean Walton, uh, which is my brother. So uh, we've got um, we're getting quite popular now, which. Um, it's amazing. It is. People are actually taking time out and, and over an hour to listen uh, listen to me and you uh, chat. Yes, um, uh, Paul Neal. His he is one of your friends, isn't he? Yep, yep. Paul is. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's hopefully going to be uh, listening to the podcast at some point. He's uh, um, said that he'll be downloading and listening and listening to them, uh, listening to them as and when he can, and also uh, Richard Stebbings as well. My uncle. His uh, his 
been uh, listening to the podcast as well um, and uh, enjoys them as well. So uh, thanks to all you lot for uh, for liking us on Facebook. And don't forget as well uh, to email the show uh, at plaintalkinguk uh, at hotmail.com. That's plain spelt P-L-A-N-E. So plaintalkinguk at hotmail.com. Send us an email. Any questions, requests, or anything you want to hear on the show, uh, or any comments or stuff you want to make to uh, make to us, me and Simon, do email us. And also, don't forget to check us out on Facebook, like our, our friends and family have. Uh, just type in on the search box on Facebook, Plain Talking UK Podcast. You'll find us there, and uh, like the page, and send us some comment or feedback via there. Uh, and. That's about it, I think, Simon, for this week. Yes, yes. I'm now off to the shop to get some more uh, peanut puffs, I think. <laughs> <laughs> He's eaten all my peanut crisps. Oh, terrible. I'm going to have to go uh, shopping uh, again, I think, as well, and get some get some more of those. So that's it then for episode number four of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we hope to uh, have you all back again listening very soon to episode number five which uh, hopefully will be sometime, be very recorded soon. sometime very soon. Yes. So from me, thanks very much, everyone. Thanks for listening. Take care. And from you, Simon? Yes, uh, take care, everybody, and uh, look forward to uh, catching up with you all again soon, and uh, we'll have some more information on our favourite subject, which is planes. Yep, planes. There's uh, no better way, uh, place to be at all than in the air. That's right. That's right. Okay, that's it then. Goodbye from me, and... Goodbye uh, from me. And remember, eyes to the sky. Eyes to the sky. Goodbye, people. Bye.